You're listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Dr. Lauren Schutte, Associate Professor of Educational Leadership and Policy at the University of Texas at Austin. And this is Transfer Guides and More. Hello, and welcome to For the Record. I'm Doug McKenna, University Registrar at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. And hi, I'm Sarah Reed, University Registrar at UC Berkeley in Berkeley, California. Woo woo, Sarah, that is a new gig. Congratulations. Thank you. Very thank exciting. you. Exciting. I'm so happy to be here. And in some email exchanges that we've recently shared, it sounds like your calendar is doing what all calendars <laughs> do for registrars, and that is filling up with meetings. So, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's getting a standing yeah. desk. <laughs> I, I'm at my standing desk now. So nice. It's lovely. One point that I will make about a standing desk is you need the little mat to stand oh, on. Oh, good tip. Um, yes. So thank you. Safety tip for everybody out there with your new standing desk: spend the extra forty bucks or whatever and get the little standing mat that goes with it. Ergo, ready. So love it. I hope that you're managing well. I hope your transition to UC Berkeley is going well. Yes, thank you. It's an amazing community, and I have such a great, uh, I've joined such a great team of support. So I just feel the love every day. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And today we're going to dive into the world of transfer. And so I'm very excited about the conversation we're about to have with our guest, Dr. Lauren Schutte, Associate Professor at UT Austin. So, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. So, to kick things off, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your institution, and maybe your areas of research? Sure. Um, so as you said, <clears throat> I'm at UT Austin. Um, it is one of the flagship universities in the state of Texas. We have a very complicated higher education structure in the state. I'm a sociologist by training. So though I'm, I'm in a higher education program. So what that really means is that my training focuses on trying to understand inequality and to think about how organizations contribute to inequality and how they can potentially intervene on inequality. And a lot of my work around that focuses on higher education. I do a lot of research on higher ed policy issues. Yep. Uh, that can include federal, state, and institutional policies. And for the past several years, my work has focused on transfer from community colleges to public universities. That's awesome. And did I read also that you are an alum of Wisconsin? Yes. University yes. Of Wisconsin? So my PhD in sociology is from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Go back. So another nice. another flagship uh, university. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So shout out to Scotty O, who's the registrar at Wisconsin in Madison. You said a couple of things there that I find really interesting. First, your training is in sociology. What was the connection there to move into the study of higher education? Yeah. Well, so I was interested in the production of inequality in the United States. And I feel like a lot of the conversation and trying to understand kind of how, how we get where we get in terms of the social mobility ladder comes back to going to college who goes to college, what college you go to, whether you get a degree, because a lot of people who start at a college don't actually get the degree that they went there for. That led me in the direction of 
looking at higher education institutions. And my training wasn't focused on policy. So that was kind of something I developed uh, over time. I've been learning as I go, because a lot of it was more organizational thinking. And I I use a lot of quantitative data, though now I also, (laughs) learning as I go again, I've been doing some qualitative (laughs) research. And it's just kind of evolved from there where I realized to intervene on inequality production in higher ed, we're probably going to have to leverage policy in order to do that. So a lot of my time on the the tenure track was focused on trying to figure out, because I'm in Texas, like what do these policies look like that shape students' experiences and how could they work better to make it so students can get to where they want to go? That's really what we sort of want to dive into today and talk through. And that's actually how I found you. Haha, <laughs> I'll take credit. <laughs> I was in a higher ed policy class and read a paper that you wrote and thought we should really have this conversation. And then I was trying to think through, like, who could I get to talk about this on the podcast? And then in a way that I'm embarrassed to say, I was like, why don't I reach out? to the author of the paper. <laughs> so that's how this connection was made. There are a bunch of national conversations happening about higher education right now, whether higher education is still valuable, what role it plays, how much it costs, the recent announcements about loan forgiveness, whether higher education is indoctrinating people. And so it's against this backdrop that we're talking about transfer today. For you, Lauren, what are the challenges that transfer students are facing generally right now? And why has transfer even bubbled up as a topic for discussion? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say a lot of the challenges that students face in transfer and, and staff face in trying to facilitate their transfer have been around for a really long time. It's, it's nothing new, but I think especially as higher education gets more and more expensive and you see more pushback in the public sphere about how expensive it is to go to college, people are turning more to affordable options or they want to turn towards what they see as affordable options, things like community college. But sometimes when that happens, they, they get stuck. It's right. actually not that easy in most Mm -hmm. states to move from a two-year to a four-year institution, even though most people say if they started a community college that what they really want is a bachelor's degree. It's 80% of people say that that's what they want. And very few of them ever make it to a university. And it's partially because the system's really unclear. It's hard for them to know exactly what they need to do, what classes they need to take, where they know that they'll move to the the subsequent institution and they'll actually apply to the program that they want them to apply to. And, you know, a lot of the students that are starting at a community college in particular or a a regional comprehensive, you know, a more accessible uh, public university, they're more likely to be first-generation college students. So they don't have the same support structure at home where someone could say, oh, when I went to college, I, you know, I thought about taking these courses first and then those courses next and making sure they're going to move from here to there. They don't necessarily have that, which puts the onus on the institutions to support them. And we don't always have those structures built for students to make sure they're getting what they need. The point about transferability versus applicability is a really important one. 
Can you say a little bit more about that? What does that mean? Can you unpack that for mm-hmm. us? What's the difference between transferability and applicability of credits? Yeah, so so credit, I mean, as you both know, credits can transfer in, they can move into your subsequent destination institution where they technically, they count, but they don't necessarily apply towards the degree that you want them to. So that can mean you have too many electives. So the credits come in, maybe early on, you have some sort of advising meeting from the perspective of the student and you're told, yes, as you expected, all of these credits are coming from your prior college to this institution. Now we need to figure out how they'll actually apply towards your major, the major that you told us you wanted to come in here with. And then when they reach that phase, maybe a major specific advisor, depending on the structure at the the institution, says, well, you took this math course and sure, it transferred in, but that's not what we need for our major. So that's an elective. And now you have to take this other math course because that's the one that's actually required to go towards this degree. And so they end up with... Yes. Yeah, and P.S. That math course is the prerequisite for all yes. of the other upper level <laughs> courses yes. that you have to take in the major. So you're yeah. stuck until yeah. you finish that math course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, and you know, math I feel like is always the easiest thing for us to pick on. Sure. So that's why I went with that example. But there are other things too where students don't expect that some you know specific. I've seen students who talk about they took some specific literature class and it counted as we have a core curriculum here in in Texas, counted towards their core. They assumed it would just count in the same way when they get, you know, say to UT and it didn't. And so it's eaten up the electives that they have available to them. So they now have to take other requirements that will fulfill whatever it is that their major was looking for. So then if they have other things that they wanted to take, they don't have as many electives to spend, you know, available to them. Right. And they may end up actually having to take far more credits at the university than they intended. Let's say that they they took two years at the community college. They're hoping it could be two more years at the university, but it actually starts to add up because there was the transferability, but not all the applicability that they thought they'd have. Excellent way to highlight that. I appreciate that. And super clear. I actually was a transfer student, not from a community college. And that exactly happened to me. My first school accepted my foreign language. My second school didn't. I didn't realize it and it delayed me by a semester. Yeah. So it's it's real. Frustrating from the student perspective. Yeah, and find surprising. It out you know, like <laughs> right. you find out later, you you've spent the money on these things, and maybe if you had known up front, you wouldn't have taken it at the first yeah. school. You would have waited to take it at the second. I understand that in some community colleges, just because of the the depth of stu- students trying to enroll, that there's sometimes in, in different institutions just they can't get in those classes, right? So they're trying to take that math 100, and then they're booked out for semesters, 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 and it just takes years to get through. So Lauren, could you tell us a little bit about what transfer student behaviors you've been noticing in your research? What, are there any prevalent trends, things that we should know as registrars? I mean, I, I guess I would say with behaviors, a lot of it looks the same. Like the bulk of the behavior is students are really fumbling through trying to find the information that they need. The students that I study tend to be those that are 
at a two-year institution trying to get to a four-year institution. And they're, they are doing the research. They're trying to. They're trying to identify the information that will be helpful to them to make sure the classes that they take up front will transfer. They will count. They'll apply later on. Um, but it can be really hard for them to get the information they need. Sometimes they find it um, in different locations where it should be the same and it's not. And then they have to figure <laughs> out what do I do about that? Like what, what is Ooh. right? And then they have to go from source to source and go find someone to help them interpret what they're finding. Um, and it's, it's really challenging. I mean, even from my perspective, I sometimes would go through as we would interview students and I would look at the materials that they're seeing and I would feel like I I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how this class is going to count here versus there. Um, Cause they can be making calculations of, should I go to this transfer destination or that transfer destination? Mm-hmm. So ideally they would have perfect information that would help them understand which one's the best bet for them. And oftentimes they don't. Uh, I think a lot of times the personnel that, that I've talked to have, assume that that wasn't what students are doing. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes there are students that are floating along and they're, they're assuming it will work out. I appreciate Sometimes they're people. being students. <laughs> it's yeah. not how I think about things, right? But, <laughs> you know, but most of them are working really hard to try to make sure they have the pieces in place. And it's really hard to actually identify the information that they're going to need. So if you were going to say that there were certain things that we as registrars or registrar communities, right, our universities in in tandem with community colleges could do to improve the situation for transfer students, what would be some of those tips from your research? Well, we would want there to be publicly available information that's presented as though it's for students, you know, so it's, it's in language that students could understand um, it's not like the straight articulation agreement. <laughs> Sometimes people post those and right. they, don't, they don't know what that means, right? And um, so transfer guides that align with current policy, they're not, they're not out of date, and give them a sense of how courses will move from one institution to another. I think that's the, that's the ideal, but it wouldn't just be on the registrars. <laughs> that requires a network of people to make that happen because a lot of the question of credit transfer ultimately comes down to certain departments and things like that. So if you want to be able to provide that information to students up front, then the university would have to think about how do we construct these and how do we make sure we're updating them in real time to, to give that information up front to students. I think that's a really important point is that this has to be a collaborative and holistic approach to make things actually better for transfer students. Uh, Registrar's offices in general, not all, but in general, are responsible for the degree audit. And so we have the set of requirements for all of the majors at the institution. And we ought to be able to use those data and give accurate information to transfer students. Many registrar's offices are also responsible for the production of the university catalog. And so we have at least a 
passing knowledge of university policies and other controlling documents or situations that transfer students should be aware of. And so I think being able to pull those things in together would, in fact, make a pretty big difference. And then, of course, we have to reach out and do some work with our partners in admissions who are often responsible for doing the transfer processing. Now, the faculty are responsible for the curriculum. So that is always a thing that I defer to the faculty. Coordinating with faculty on how a course from a particular institution articulates and what equivalency is established at a four-year institution. That also requires work, ongoing work with the faculty. And so are you responsible for doing those types of articulations? Do you know faculty members who do that? What tips could you give to registrars or admissions people who might be listening about facilitating those kinds of conversations and then also about the importance of making that information, as you mentioned, publicly available, easily searchable, uh, et cetera. I am a faculty member in a graduate student only department, so I don't have to deal with it in the same way. (laughs) 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 But, you know, we have, we have students who come in and they do want to bring credits from other, other graduate programs. And we do it in a process that's very much a one-off which is not ideal and not equitable, right? We're not able to say up front like this is, we have a policy of we'll accept up to six, but what those things will be, the decisions just happen over time as they come in. You know, with undergrads, there's so, the students are moving in so many directions, are coming into institutions, out of institutions. So it has to be much clearer and dictated by policy in a different way. But I do think that it would require some ongoing maybe committees that are not that any faculty wants to hear that they need to be on more committees. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell them that you said so <laughs> direct from the faculty uh, member's mouth. Yeah, it's not the registrar, <laughs> another faculty member recommended an additional. Committee. But I think, I think it's, it would be, I think it's worthwhile work, but it also requires kind of a, a shift probably for all of us from the perspective of people who work in a university in the way that we think about what our responsibilities are related to this. Because I think a lot of conversations that I've had in doing some of this work with faculty and administrators around transfer, a lot of conversations come back to rigor of courses and just a lot of, there's a lot of hesitation about taking credits from other institutions Sure. And it, everything's focused on this is what we do here. And this is how mm-hmm. we want it here. And as a faculty member, of course, I appreciate that. You know, I have the way I teach my <laughs> course and, and I like it that way. Um, I understand that from an individual perspective. But I think one of the things that has surprised me in doing work on transfer is how much this is a system level issue. You know, like this is something that when you start to look at what ideally should happen and what is actually happening, you realize universities are very responsible for the transfer function in the full, you know, in a given state higher education structure. They dictate 
how credits will count towards the bachelor's degrees that most people entering any form of undergraduate institution want. And so if we can shift our lens a little bit to think about the responsibility that we have, then, then hopefully that can lead to some, some work that I think would need to be ongoing where at least yearly committees might need to come together and say, you know, we've revised our curricula. Like what is, what's that going to mean for credits coming in from another institution? Um, does it have kind of trickle down effects on the students that are going to be entering the college from this point forward? Right. And especially in cases where the community college student is active and does the research and then starts to take a set of classes that they think will transfer. And then by the time they're ready to transfer in two years, it's almost like we have pulled the rug out from under them. Because while universities honor the catalog year that you enter the institution, so that's your set of requirements, that transfer student has not entered the institution. Mm -hmm. And so we don't feel that same responsibility for consistency with that set of requirements. And that's a problem. And we see it all the time. Mason has a really large first-gen population, and we have a large transfer population. And we're dealing with these issues a lot consistently. And so I think this recommendation for an annual review at a minimum is really important for people to take to heart and to try and put into practice with their own institutions. Because we don't have, in America, we don't have the same number of traditional college students. Now, the average college student will transfer at least once. And so we need to make sure that that process is efficient, not just you know, there is an interest in the student and making it positive experience for the student. But for institutions, mm-hmm. enrollments are going to mean something in, you know, everybody's heard of the enrollment cliff that's coming yeah. in the United States in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Transfer students can make up a difference in an institution staying open and an institution having to close. And Institutions that facilitate transfer well are going to benefit. So it's it's really incumbent on us as four-year institutions. I'm speaking from a four-year institution perspective and a public one, but it's really incumbent on us to make this process work well. So especially I as yeah. tuition increases. Agreed. Um, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off on there, Doug. No, you're fine. So Lauren, I, you know, I really love your, I have more to, I obviously need to read your research. I'm fascinated, but I love just the perspective you're offering. Could you talk a moment just about the impact to transfer students? I I know, you know, we may see some of those touch points where it's fallen into our lap and there's a crisis or it hasn't been coded and they were expecting it, but we don't necessarily always have the vantage point of the total impact to that student's life. If the transfer doesn't go well and they're, delayed. Is there any kind of specific examples that you could share from your research just to help us get the full lens? I'm sure many of us can imagine it, but I'd love to hear what you found. Sure. Yeah. So so um, one of my research projects, we were following students over six years. So students who said that they 
They intended to transfer within a year. We were tracking them from community colleges. A lot of them did not transfer within that first year. And so we continued following them, giving them up to six years. And a lot of students were delayed. They were delayed for a lot of times it was personal reasons because a lot of them were, you know, they were working full time. Most of them were first generation college students. They just had a lot of other things going on. But a lot of times there were also issues where they started kind of doing the calculations of how much it would cost once they got to the university and realizing it would be better for me if I took more of these courses at the community college. But, you know, a lot of them did realize once they started to fully do the research that their dream school was not actually going to accept all of the credits that they were hoping for. And sometimes that came out of conversations with the admissions staff more than it came out of looking at materials. Cause I think that the materials are really hard for them to navigate on their own. So that's, that's one thing is that if those conversations don't happen early enough for students, it can thwart their, their dream, you know, of where they're going to go to college and really shift their decision-making process um, but we also had students who we saw them transfer and they got into the institution and realized that, you know, they, a lot of the courses that they originally accrued weren't going to count towards the major the way that they wanted them to. And so they were feeling like either I'm going to stay here and spend a lot more money at the university to get this major, or I should, you know, switch to a different a different major that might be more flexible. Um, and a lot of times this could happen in, you know, fields that you would expect STEM things that are where the faculty might be more rigid about what counts and what doesn't. <laughs> uh, and so they, they could be devastated when that happens. And in one instance, a, a student actually decided, I wish I didn't transfer here. <laughs> went back, then wasn't sure what to do, went back to the community college because they felt like, I don't want to keep going to that institution. This this isn't going to work out. So I want to keep accruing, like moving forward. I'll go back to the community college. And then they had to figure out, well, where am I going to go to now? And yeah, so you can a, see how yeah. yeah, some of the credit transfer issues start to impact their their feelings about whether they belong. Um, it, it all kind of boils together for them about whether this was the place that I was supposed to be or not. I love the fact that there's a football pep rally <laughs> outside your window. I love the life here, but I, hopefully it's not picking up the noise in the background. I didn't right. realize that Berkeley had a football team. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Mason doesn't. I don't think of so it as like a football school either. <laughs> yeah. George Mason does not have a football team. Let me just put that out there in case anybody thinks that I'm well, talking smack about UT has one in, and I, I went on campus early this morning and tomorrow they're playing the Alabama Crimson yeah. Tide, which is like yeah. the biggest, I'm not a football fan, so I, I don't know much. But I was like, I note to self, do not come back here until after the weekend. <laughs> it was already crazy on campus where I was like, yeah. this is, What's happening? Oh, okay. Oh, there's, right. There's, right. Everybody except me is aware that this thing is about to happen. <laughs> oh my I went to physical therapy this morning, and one of my physical therapists was talking about the Texas Alabama yeah. game. So, it's a big deal, apparently. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it's really funny. 
No, I think this is great. I, I mean, I was listening to this and I appreciate the impact because I think sometimes just pausing to really see how deeply lives are affected from end to end is really important. Thinking about systems, going back to the structural problem, I think, you know, as registrars, we're, we're always trying to help work with a campus and systems are often a pain point, right? Even down to the software. Does it work? Does everyone know how to use it? You know, sometimes there are workarounds by colleges or schools because other ways of operating seem to be more efficient or meet their, achieve their goals. And so I was curious if your research at all explored, you know, how, how perhaps not fully integrating a, or utilizing a software system that the school has, has impacted students doing the workarounds um, and not fully leveraging software. Have, has your research touched on that at all? Do you have any insights? I mean, I would say I probably don't know nearly as much as you do, but this issue has come up. People have complained to me about it. People who are managing, sending transcripts and trying to help students understand how the credits are going to transfer, doing degree audits. It's come up a lot because it's very much the Wild West here in Texas, where we don't, we have six university systems. There's a whole bunch of different community college districts and independent colleges. So everyone's kind of doing their own thing. So a lot of times people are having to do the workaround is the system. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, there isn't like some coherent way um, to do this for a lot of partnerships um, for a lot of, you know, sending and receiving institutions. And it becomes a really big problem when people have a, automated way they're doing a degree audit and then occasionally they find out they weren't actually picking up some of what that they thought they were going to like we have a core curriculum here our general education credits they're supposed to move from one institution to another seamlessly but mm-hmm. there were some people that I talked to who work at the community college as as recruiters for the university so they're seeing it on both sides they're, they're represented from the university, but they're really housed in the community college so that they actually become, you know, the connection between the two institutions and realize that in the degree audits, unless the transcript very specifically said core, which wasn't a requirement of the policy because they have the right, they have the right course numbers, it just wasn't counting them. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't going to move <laughs> for students and like block out that they completed their core. And so then they had to kind of go in and try to figure out, well, what's going on here. But that meant that there were all these students that unless they noticed, unless yeah. they knew and they understood the way that the credits should count, um, it just wasn't happening for them, which then led to them having like extra electives and, and issues like that. And so it is really important that there kind of be this ongoing let's quality check and see and make sure <laughs> that these systems align to some extent, or we have a sense of how things are moving between institutions and if it could get better. I think that your description of sort of the wild west amongst all of the various systems in Texas is not unusual overall. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think there are a handful of States who are doing transfer well through either, you know, legislation. When I was worked at Michigan State, there was uh, legislation that said we had to 
do all of the articulations between all the publics to publics. And so and Michigan State actually hosts that database for the entire state of Michigan. But we didn't do that on our own. And it took, again, like some outside policy and in that case legislation to make that a thing. I think Ohio has a similar, Indiana, I believe, does. Florida actually does a really good job with their transfer, but still encounters a lot of the same issues where the systems are not aligned, there are requirements that are missed, and then these negative outcomes happen that are, as you pointed out earlier, inequitable because students who know enough to say, hey, wait a second, they get somebody to take another look at it. Whereas a student who this is literally their first experience or first encounter with a four-year institution, and the four-year institution has some authority in that and power in that relationship dynamic, and they say, hey, this doesn't count. They don't know enough to come back and say, no, it does. It definitely does. And so that's a disservice to that individual. And unfortunately, those individuals are often first-generation students, students of color, or students in other minority groups. So higher ed's got to do better. Yeah, you know, something that has been really interesting in our work is as researchers, we weren't really thinking about how asking students these questions, because a lot of times we were asking them questions like, how do you think your credits and your courses at this institution are going to move to the next institution? We were asking them those questions and we weren't thinking about the fact that by asking them those questions, we were intervening. We were making them think about it in a different way. And we're like, so, hey, wait a yeah. second. My credits yeah. might not count. <laughs> yeah. yes. Or we asked them, do you know about the core curriculum in Texas? And at the time, we had something called fields of study, where if they were in certain majors, they should actually get credits beyond the core. Like some pre-major credits should also transfer and apply. And none of them knew about it. And then they're like, oh, wait, like, let me <laughs> let me take some notes here. And <laughs> It, wow. And it, it, it was like, it led to not, we tried to clarify, we are not advisors, go talk to an advisor. But it was like, now they had a list of things that they could bring to their advisor. Like having this conversation spurred something for them of like, these are the things that I need to look into. And it just made us feel like they need to be having these conversations early on. And maybe it happens at initial orientation, but there's a lot that's happening at initial orientation and that's probably a little bit too much. It has to be kind of ongoing prodding to make sure that they're aware that these issues are going to come up until we get those like perfect systems into place. There have to be high touch interventions where they can happen to, to say like, have you thought about, you know, how these courses are later going to count down the road? And maybe that's an aspect of the transfer guide that gets brought in is sort of this intake questionnaire kind of a thing that students can reflect on and and then find people to have conversations with about. It'd yeah. be nice if the transfer guide also facilitates some contact with someone who might be able to talk to them. As yeah, well. but, that's always hard because it, it does seem from the student perspective, I think they feel like they're passed off a lot. Yeah, like I, I think that's true. The yeah, university it's not just the said, perception. they're not allowed to guide me. Go back to the 
you know, my original institution and the original institution said, I don't know. I like, you can't rely solely on me to tell yeah. you how credits will count over there. You have to talk to them. And they're like, well, okay. So no one bears the responsibility of telling me what will happen when I move from A to B. There's a gap. Mm-hmm. It, so that's, you know, you brought up some interesting points, Doug, about, you know, when legislation steps in, Lauren, from your perspective, do you think that you know, more, more of a state legis- legislation for each state would help with forcing some requirements that at least, you know, from community colleges to state institutions that would help bridge that gap? Yeah. I I think it can help. I think that, so there is some research in California that showed that when the associate degree for transfer was enacted, it did lead to more students transferring. Um, and ultimately they're able to get their degree, but there's still a lot of work on the back end that has to happen. So there's like the hidden side of it of how are the universities having to handle the influx of, of students coming in and how are those credits going to apply? It forces the hand of the universities, which, you know, from the perspective again, of those of us at the university, a lot of times we don't like that. Um, because it's like, this is, as faculty, this is our curriculum. Like you yeah. can right. come in and tell me how I'm going to have to count this course that I never approved this coming in in that way. It forces that broad, like uh, an understanding of we as a state have a system of higher education and we want the pieces to fit together. And if we care about social mobility, then we do need to have multiple access points where you can still get you can still end up with that degree from UT Austin, you know, or UC Berkeley. You still want to end up with those degrees, even if you did start not at that institution. There should be a pathway there. Um, right. And so it's like there needs to be the, the legislative action helps. And I hope it eventually, beyond just forcing our hand, leads to some cultural shift in the way we think about it. That's awesome. I just think this is such an important conversation and it brings up so many points of just, you know, how, how, when we're doing our work well and we're integrating with other, you know, campuses and, and schools and colleges really well, we have those relationships. We're pushing our systems and making sure they all connect with each other. And then we have our touch points uh, so that it's more of a holistic touch with students. It really does make a big difference. But when those gaps are there, the importance of, why we're working towards filling those gaps because it is just so pervasive to this population. So I look forward to deeply reading your research and I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. It's a lot of work for me to do. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. You taking the time. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts or recommendations or tidbits to share? Other than hook'em horns, oh. <laughs> isn't that the? <laughs> no, I think I think hook'em horns is a good uh, a good conclusion. Good way to close. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I want to say a huge thank you to Dr. Lauren Schutte for joining us today and sharing her expertise. And Sarah, you might have noticed that there are a lot of areas around transfer that we didn't even come close to touching on. So, yeah. student experience, transfer recruitment. Uh, Mm -hmm. partnerships with two-year institutions, guided pathway programs, financial aid implications, student support services for transfer students, and so much more. 
So ACRO is yeah. playing a big part in this national conversation around transfer. And we're going to add to that presence with the launch of a brand new podcast focused entirely on transfer topics whoop, and whoop. issues. Whoop, whoop. And so <laughs> Loida Utley, who we chatted with at the annual meeting previously, is going to be hosting that podcast and she's going to be spilling all of the transfer tea coming up this fall. So if you are interested in transfer issues and want to explore these with greater depth and more frequency, be on the lookout for it. It'll be available wherever fine podcasts are streamed. And also, if you're interested in talking about these conversations, if you have informed experience or just a passion for it, Loida would definitely love to, to chat with you. Please reach out. There is a new email address at Acro as well. It's podcasts at acro.org. So podcasts at acro.org. If you want to volunteer your services, if you have thoughts and feedback that you'd like to share, please do. And thanks very much for listening. We hope that your fall semester is off to a great start. And I'll say this again before November, but please please verify that you are registered to vote. Encourage the people in your office to verify that they are registered to vote and then actually participate in the midterm elections. There are many, many, many important reasons to do so. Until next time, stretch your legs, be kind, drink some more water while you're smashing the patriarchy. I'm Doug McKenna. <laughs> And I'm Sarah. <laughs> and this is For the Record. <laughs>